Welcome to Southside Community Church. Enjoy our Sunday morning message. We're looking at James 3, 7 through 12 today, and we're talking about using our words in cooperation with God. And we've been going through practical kingdom living. Uh, we've, that's what we've called the book of James. And the reason is because James gives us some very practical steps that we can take, some very practical tips for learning how to live well as citizens of the kingdom of God. And it's, uh, it spits out a lot of wisdom. It is offensive to religious people who don't have this connection with God, this loving connection with God. So it's offensive to religious people and it's instructive to humble people. So there is something in this book. Each of us has a little bit of kind of the, a self-righteous religiousness inside of us and that will get stung and that will be brought to light somewhere in the book of James because he's so good at if you are merely religious without relationship with God, he's going to sting you somewhere. But if you're humble, if we're humble, if we're open to his instruction, he's going to transform us through these words in James. When you receive Jesus as your king, you gain entrance into his kingdom, and he begins to teach you through his word how to be good people in the kingdom, good citizens. Dallas Willard talks about Christian growth, part of it as, he says, acquiring the habits of goodness. So that eventually, in every area that God is growing us, we don't have to try we, pe- we become good naturally and spontaneously the more that we grow in our relationship with Christ. And so in this section of James that we're in, we're talking about our tongue, we're talking about speech, and so we're talking about acquiring the habits of goodness when it comes to our speech. We've talked about how powerful the tongue is and how destructive it can be. Last week we said an impulsive tongue is an injurious tongue. Impulsiveness hurts other people. Speaking without considering what you're going to say, speaking when it's not spoken in love for those present and those not present, injures people. It's destructive. And we said last week there are three ways that we hurt others with our speech. We said gratuitousness, which is um, just things that are out of place, things that are not becoming of a follower of Jesus to say. Uh, We said gossiping, and we said grumbling. Grumbling is a form of pollution. It pollutes the air, and it's extremely selfish because when you're grumbling, you're pulling everyone into this atmosphere of negativity. So it's a very unloving way to speak. Restraining your speech, we decided, out of love for others is a mark of Christian maturity. And so we're going to focus today on James 3, 7 through 12, but we're going to start with the second half of verse 5 in order to have context. You can follow along either on the screen here or you can look in your sermon notes or even better, if you have your Bible, you can open up to James 3, 7 through 12, starting with verse, second half of verse 5. How great a forest 
is set ablaze by such a small fire, and the tongue is a fire, a world of unrighteousness. The tongue is set among our members, staining the whole body, setting on fire the entire course of life, and set on fire by hell. For every kind of beast and bird of reptile and sea creature can be tamed and has been tamed by mankind, but no human being can tame the tongue. It is a restless evil full of deadly poison. With it we bless our Lord and Father, and with it we curse people who are made in the likeness of God. From the same mouth come blessing and cursing. My brothers, these things ought not to be so. Does a spring forth pour forth from the same opening both fresh and salt water? Can a fig tree, my brothers, bear olives, or a grapevine produce figs? Neither can a, can a salt pond yield fresh water. Look again at verse 8. No human being can tame the tongue. Great. What are we here for? Why are we talking about taming the tongue if it's impossible for a human being to tame the tongue? Well, we don't gather on Sunday mornings to learn how to be a better person. We gather on Sunday mornings to remember that we are dependent upon God for everything. No human being can tame the tongue, but with God, all things are possible. So, your first fill in the blank here is restraining our speech requires divine transformation. Restraining our speech requires divine transformation. And by the way, if, um, if you weren't here last week, we are providing three ring binders in the back. Um, you can grab one of those binders and grab one of the cover sheets and put it in the front of the binder and this is going to be your binder for the book of James so that you can keep all of the notes that we're taking and review them. You can review them with friends. You can use them to mentor other people in Scripture. So from now on, all of the, the sermon series that we do, we want, we want to give you a binder so that you can keep the notes and practice uh, personal ministry, which is growing yourself and helping others grow spiritually. So you can grab those in the back. We ran out last week, which is a really, really good thing. So restraining our speech requires divine transformation. We need to become a new creation because we can't speak good things out of a bad heart. And we're born with bad hearts. We need God to give us a new and good heart. James puts it this way. A fig tree can't grow olives. A fig tree grows figs. It's impossible for it to grow olives. It's against its nature. It's impossible for us to consistently speak good out of love for others. It's against our nature apart from God. A grapevine can't grow figs. A salt pond can't yield fresh water. A human heart that has not been transformed by the grace of Jesus can't restrain itself from harmful speech. You can for a little while at a superficial, shallow level, but eventually your heart is going to be stirred up and shaken. Someone's going to bump into you and what's in your heart will come out. Imagine those beautiful mums as you're walking into 
our front here, those pots of mums. Imagine when you're leaving today and someone gives you one of those pots and says, you can have this, put it on your front porch, and you go home. You put it on your front porch, and you walk out tomorrow morning, and it's growing pineapples. <laughs> That's ridiculous. It doesn't make sense because a mum, it's against its nature to grow pineapples. Jesus says it this way in Matthew 7, 18, a healthy tree cannot bear bad fruit, nor can a diseased tree bear good fruit. We have a diseased heart apart from Christ. It can't produce good things. We can't restrain our speech. We can't speak only out of love with a bad and diseased heart. So what I want us, that's what I want us to understand before moving any further that our tongue is so powerful, it's so destructive, it's so wild, that restraining our speech actually requires us to become a new type of person altogether. Otherwise, any changes we make will just be surface level. So, to change our speech patterns, we need to become a new creation. To change our speech patterns, we need to become a new creation. So fortunately, that's what Jesus does. 2 Corinthians 5.17 there says, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. So we're not just, when you're following Jesus, when you're a Christian, you're not just becoming a better version of your old self. We're not just putting lipstick on pigs. We are actually becoming, we have become a new creation altogether. God makes us into a new person. He gives us a new heart. So we spend the rest of our lives after we entrust ourselves to Jesus, after he gives us the Holy Spirit, after he makes us into a new creation, living into and learning how to live the new habits of that new creation. We still have residue, bad habits, bad thought patterns, but we're not enslaved to those things. God frees us and empowers us by his spirit to begin acting like the new creation he's made us to be. The second part of that is to change our speech patterns, we need a new heart. And that's because Jesus says in Matthew 12, 34, for out of the abundance of the heart the mouth speaks. So you can attempt and try all you want to become a person who only speaks loving things without Jesus, but someone's going to cut you off in traffic. Someone's going to do something that just annoys you. You're going to be put in front of someone in the line at the grocery store who is just grading you in every possible way and out will spill your heart. You can't change your heart. You can restrain your speech to a certain degree, but eventually what's in your heart is gonna come out. That's why we need a new heart. Ezekiel 36, 26 says, and I will give you a new heart, God speaking through the prophet, I will give you a new heart and a new spirit I will put within you. And I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. 
So God makes us into a new creation. He gives us a new heart, and we begin to bear fruit that is consistent with the good heart that God has given us. Keller, my guy, who um, is with Jesus in person right now, uh, had a wonderful statement. He said, Jesus didn't die for us because we were lovely. He died to make us lovely. Makes us into a new creation. Gives us a new heart. And as we grow in Christ, we begin to live the habits, the goodness of this new creation, this new heart. All right, let's go to the next one. Restraining our speech requires divine cooperation. So it's first transformation and then cooperation. As in all spiritual growth, we have a role to play as well. We cooperate with God in this work of restraining our speech and retraining our speech. Dallas Willard says, grace is not opposed to effort, it's opposed to earning. In other words, so a lot, you know, when you become a Christian, when you start following Jesus, he makes you a new creation. You don't just sit back passively and wait for him to change you. There's things that we can do to cooperate with God in order to become better. We don't just sit back and wait for it to happen passively. But the order is important. Remember, transformation's first and then cooperation. If we're not transformed first, any effort we make to grow spiritually in any way, if we haven't been transformed, is completely futile. This image might be helpful. This is what I want you to think about when you think of someone trying to become good apart from God transforming them trying to do it in our own strength. Have you ever um, run up an escalator that's coming down? Like you, you, every teenage guy has done this at some mall. I mean, I did this a million times. I was so annoying to people. And for some reason, I thought it was really fun. I'm just going to keep running up. It's coming down. It's a challenge. It's not that hard. Trying to restrain your tongue and become a good person without God first making you a new person without God's help, is like trying to run up an escalator that is coming at you at 100 miles an hour. And it goes to the moon. You can't become a good person apart from Jesus making you into a good person. It's like running up an escalator that's coming down at 100 miles an hour and it goes all the way to the moon. You won't get three feet off the ground. Grace is not opposed to effort, it's opposed to earning. We do have a role to play in this, but it's only after God has already transformed us. But then as new creations, we cooperate with God in restraining our speech. We have work to do. But the difference is, the wind is at our back. We are working in partnership with the momentum that God has given us. That's why people who have never really quite surrendered their life to Jesus, trying to be moral people, never works. You know what might happen? You become moral in one little area of your life, and everything else is falling apart. That's what can happen if you are trying to become a good person without completely surrendering to Christ. This area I've got covered. I'm doing really good here. Everything else is a train wreck. But this area, I'm doing real good. 
That is called growth apart from Christ. That is called growth without completely surrendering to him. But growth, when you've surrendered to Christ, he's made you a new creation. Every area, there's a sense of momentum in your life. Here's another image. You guys know when you go to the... um, you go to the airport, they, I don't know what they're called, they're the people movers, you know those walking things that they're, they're I, don't, I don't know what you call those things, it's just a flat surface like a path and you step on it and you just, someone's walking beside you and you're going the same rate and you're not like moving. So that's what it's like to begin to grow spiritually and cooperate with God after you've been transformed, after you've been given a new heart. You're going on one of those people movers, those moving walkways. And you start walking, and it looks like you're flying by people, but you're actually walking the same rate they're walking, but you are flying. That's what it's like to grow. You have work to do, but the work that you do, the Spirit is at your back, and he's already moving you in that direction. Paul writes in Philippians 2.13 that it is God who is at work in us both to will and to work for his good pleasure. And the other thing that will happen, if you forget this, you'll become very prideful about weird things. You'll become very prideful about weird things, religious things, things that religious people get excited about, things that... um, you use to create a hierarchy in your mind um, to begin to think that you're better than other people. Anytime you think you're better than other people is an act of self-righteousness and the Spirit of God is not in that. Restraining our speech becomes easy and it becomes easy to thank and praise and live in gratitude to God when you sense that the wind is at your back, when Jesus is helping you. So how do we cooperate with God? Let's get into some specifics really quickly here at the end so we can have a little bit of application of what this looks like. How do we restrain and then retrain our speech? Um, In verse 9, James says that it doesn't make sense for blessings and curses to come out of the same mouth. And he's talking specifically there in blessing God. When we bless other people, it expands them in some way. When we bless God, it doesn't expand him. He stays the same. So blessing God would be like singing a worship song. So James is saying, it's impossible for you to bless God and curse other people. It's impossible for you to come to church on Sunday morning and sing worship songs to God. And then on the way home, grumble. And then on the way home, gossip. That shouldn't happen. Out of the same mouth that just... 30 minutes ago was singing worship songs to God, is now grumbling. That's not supposed to happen. It's like salt water and fresh water coming out of the same spring. But not only do we bless God with our speech, we bless others. We have the potential to bless others as well, as opposed to cursing others with our speech. And that is one of the major goals of divine cooperation in this area. What does it mean to curse someone? I'm not talking about the overt casting a curse or spell on someone, although there is dark opposition against us in those realms that we're 
probably most of us are very naive about. Those things do happen. And I'm not talking about cursing as in cussing. It means any word spoken with demeaning intentions. Cursing someone is any word that is spoken with demeaning intentions. It could be spoken to them. It could be spoken about them. I have a friend here at Southside who several months ago, several months ago, was, was going through uh, a, a transition in work and there was all sorts of opportunity for this person as we would go on walks and process this together to curse the ways that he was being treated. There were all sorts of opportunities to speak in demeaning ways and he would have been justified in speaking in these ways about the people who were making his life painful. And he never did. He never spoke one word that was demeaning a group of people who were making his life painful. Never once. It was extremely instructive for me because it seemed like if anyone could say something demeaning about someone, he had the right to do that, and he never did once. He actually spoke very intentionally and respectfully about them. Now, because we speak out of the heart, this goes beyond just our words, it's a posture we have towards others. So think of, as you, as you engage with people throughout the day, as you think about people throughout the day, your posture is either one of blessing towards them or cursing towards them. You are either wanting God's goodness in your life or you're wanting to demean them with your thoughts and words. There isn't a neutral if you know the person, you are in one of those two postures. And what we are learning from James is we have this choice. We can want good or we can want ill for people. And we will speak in accordance with whichever one our hearts align with. So what does it mean to bless someone? To bless someone is any word spoken invoking, invoking God's goodness, calling out the image of God in that person, affirming that person, complimenting them in genuine ways, praying for that person, praying God's promises for that person, praying for their repentance if they're straying, forgiving them, any word spoken, spoken invoking God's goodness in their life. Speaking honorably about the person who isn't present. This is a really hard one for in our community, in our, in our world right now. Speaking honorably about everyone, even when they're not present. What if they've done me harm? What if they've done me wrong? What if they've done my family wrong? What if they've done my friends and loved ones wrong? Jesus wants to help us become the type of people that can even bless them. He says so in, in Luke 6.28 that we are to bless those who curse us. 
And this is what Jesus does for us. And it's the only reason why we can do that for others. The first half of my life was pretty much an ongoing conversation with my actions and my words where I was cursing God. This is pretty much the first half of my life. A life lived in rebellion against God. I was cursing God. And yet God looks at me in Christ right now and says, I find no fault in you. We can bless those who are cursing us because God blessed us as we were cursing him. Divine cooperation as it relates to our speech involves restraining our speech from cursing others and training our speech to bless God and bless others. Genesis 1.28, the first words that God spoke to humanity was blessing. The first words that God spoke to people was blessing. And Charles Spurgeon makes this fascinating connection. He says, the last word in the Old Testament is curse. Now you have to go old school. You have to go KJV on this one. But the last verse in the KJV, it's Malachi 4.6. It says, and he shall turn the heart of the fathers to the children and the heart of the children to their fathers, lest I come and smite the earth with a curse. It's the last word in the Old Testament. The Bible begins with God blessing people. And it ends with humanity waiting to see if God is going to bless or curse them. So the whole Old Testament is God setting things up so that he can actually bless humanity again after we introduced a curse into creation. He blessed us. We stiff-armed him and want to do things our own way. It introduces a curse into creation. The rest of the Old Testament is setting up the world for Jesus to bless us. But it ends with curse. The last word in the Old Testament is curse. And for 400 years, God's quiet. And humanity waits in the balance, waits. Is he going to bless us or is he going to curse us? And Spurgeon observes that Jesus comes and the first word he says in his first major sermon to human beings is blessed. Blessed are you. God creates this world because he wants us to experience his ongoing goodness. He wants us to to live in the glow of his love. He wants us to, our lives to be marked by an avalanche of his goodnesses. We stiff arm him, reject that. We introduce curse into the world. God sends Jesus and says, there is a way again for you to live your life in the avalanche of the Father's goodness. And it is through me. And as we look at Christ on the cross who endured the curse for us on the cross, he endured the Father's scorn, but probably more painful was the Father's apathy towards him. The prayers were getting no higher than the the clouds for Jesus on the cross. The Father wasn't 
listening. The father turned his back. It's a type of curse when God turns his back, when he doesn't listen, when he doesn't hear. It's a type of curse. Jesus endured that so that we don't have to. And then he came back to life. And he said, you can experience resurrected life now and forever in the kingdom through me. It's available to you. You'll never be good enough for that. You'll never deserve that. You could never handle the curse that the Father had me experience on the cross. It's available to you, a life of blessing. So as we experience the goodness of God as we live our lives in Christ, as we grow in him, as we learn the habits of goodness, we can more easily bless others, including the ones who curse us, and especially the ones who curse us. Blessing those who curse us is the ultimate sign that you get it. That you realized that you didn't deserve God's blessing, and yet he gave it to you in Christ. Out of that, the words of blessing flow to others. Would you stand with me and pray, please? Father, I will just echo the words of Numbers 24 through 26, and I pray that this would be true for all those who are hearing this. And I pray that you would honor these words with the reality behind them, that we would experience life in this way. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace. Amen. Thank you for listening. Check out our website at southsideworcester.com.